0: Good morning welcome to worship Stuart's not here this morning he's out presbytery i live in presbytery uh, down at harvey bay so um, I, he asked me if i would do the service so it's great to be here and to be sharing with you on this rather warm day and so as we gather together in worship the psalmist writes be still and know that i am god let us bow in prayer Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunities we have to be able to come and be still, to know that you're our God as we gather in worship in so many different ways. We come as your people, acknowledging that not only you are God, but creator and father of us all. We come to give to you the glory and the honour which is yours and yours alone. And as we think of your majesty, as we think about your glory and wonder, we are mindful how far short of your glory we have fallen. We have not always loved you or our neighbour or ourselves as we are called to love. The times we've just taken you for granted. The times when we have thought, well, it doesn't matter what we do, we just need to say sorry and all is forgiven. And so in doing so, we have cheapened your grace. For those times when we've tried to mould and shape people into our thinking and to our understanding, thinking that we're right and they should be just like us, rather than giving thanks that we're made in your image and each one of us is different. For those times when we've not been able to accept ourselves those times when we think that we're unworthy of your love those times when we think that nobody could ever like us and we have not accepted your forgiveness forgive us O oh god for our sin forgive us for our selfishness and foolishness and even as we confess our sin we are reminded of the words of scripture that tell us that as we confess you forgive us, you cleanse us, and you renew us. And so is your freed, forgiven people. We say thank you. Thank you that in Jesus Christ our sins are forgiven. Thank you that through Christ the old has passed all things are new, And so we continue to worship you and praise you, thanking you for the many blessings we have received at your hands. But most of all, thanking you that you are our God and we are your people. And so, as your people, we say together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. As I said, it's great to be here and to be sharing with you wherever you are on this rather warm day. The notices would have come out through the email. Some of you will collect yours uh, from the office. Just two in particular I'd like to mention. The first is next Sunday. Next Sunday we'll be gathering at Baldwin Swamp. Uh, from the Steindel Street entrance, Baldwin Swamp at nine o'clock we gather. Um, we will be live from nine thirty for uh, as per usual. But if you can gather there at nine o'clock, and uh, it will be a great time of fellowship and worship together. And the other notice is that on the twenty-second uh, we gather here for a congregational meeting. And so please make sure those both of those things are in your diaries. And plan to attend. The other notices are there for you to read and to give your prayers and your support to. As a church, we are always thankful for the commitment and dedication of the people who support us. We thank those who bring their offering, faithful in bringing their offerings every week or whenever they can whether they do it online through the internet and internet banking or whether they drop it into the office or however it comes, we are grateful and thankful for that as we continue on the mission and work of the church within this community. And so now let us join together um, as we just give thanks to God for that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the faithfulness of people for the gifts that have been given for the furtherance of your kingdom here on earth, whether it be through internet banking, whether it be dropping it off uh, at the office or mailing or whichever way, we thank you for the commitment and dedication of so many people. We thank you for your love, and we thank you that through these commitments, we are able to continue on the work and the mission of the church in this community. We pray for our community. We pray for those who govern over us, whether it be local, state or federal level, that your blessing will be upon them, that the decisions they make might be beneficial to the whole of humankind and not just for small interest groups. We pray for those who we know are not well, those who are facing surgery, those recovering from surgery. We give thanks for the scientists who are doing their research in COVID-19, for the Development they are coming, we would pray that your continual watch over and bless them, that, that their research will be successful, that we'll be able to control this virus. We thank you for those meeting at Presbytery. We thank you for all the councils of church, whether it be elders, church councils, Presbytery, Synod, Assembly. Be with all of them as they meet at different times to make decisions. May they be guided by your presence, by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that you'll be with each one of us. Help us in all that we say and do, that we might continue to reflect your glory. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Bible reading today comes from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, reading from verse 10 to verse 21. And Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming more like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A question on Facebook the other day asked, what work would you have done if you did the job you wanted to do when a child? Where would you be now? For me, as a little kid, I always wanted to work with Dad in the hardware shop. And eventually take it over when he got older. As a 14 year old I wanted to be a solicitor and then at 15 I clearly heard God call me into ministry. Where would I be now? Well if I'd stayed in the hardware I'd probably still be in Manly in Brisbane and as a minister well where I am now. We all have ambitions at times whether it's to be a high achiever at all costs or just to get by. Ambition is what drives us to strive for the goals we set for ourselves. Athletes train hard and often in order to attain their ambition to be the best in their chosen sport. Scientists study hard and work on all sorts of research projects to attain in their field of expertise. So whatever is our work, whether it be high profile or not, people strive to attain the results that they want. Is ambition bad? Should a Christian be ambitious? Some cannot see the problem. They go to church on Sunday and during the rest of the week, they pursue their own ambitions. Others think that when you become a Christian, you have to give up all ambition and simply drift through life, taking whatever comes as God's will. They see all ambition as being evil. Paul was extremely ambitious. Ambition has been described as a desire to succeed. Before Paul became a Christian, he was fiercely ambitious in his desire to persecute the early church. After his Damascus experience, he did not lose his ambitious nature, he just changed its direction. In this passage of his to the Philippians, he describes himself as an athlete desperate to win the race. John Stott, in one of his books, makes the point that ultimately there are only two controlling ambitions to which all others may be reduced one is for our own glory, and the other is God's. So let's look at God's glory. If you like, a Jesus centered ambition. Now, over the past week, Stuart has previously mentioned that Paul's confidence came from knowing Christ and having his righteousness. Paul now moves from the source of his confidence to the focus of his ambitions. Firstly, his ambition is to know Christ. The Greek word that Paul uses here is far more than just an intellectual knowledge but rather it's a personal knowledge not just about how not just about knowing about Christ but to know him as a person to have an intimate knowledge and relationship with Christ you know you can know all about Christ but how well do you really know him for paul this intimate relationship means to know the power Of his resurrection not just as a past historical event but rather a powerful dynamic force at work in his life the holy spirit in you is the same holy spirit that raised christ from the dead the spirit of god brings resurrection power to our lives and it is knowing and using this power that was paul's ambition the power of his resurrection And the power of his resurrection to use that also for Paul to know Christ involved then the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, Paul doesn't seek suffering, but he realizes that this is inevitable, not as a penalty, but rather as a privilege. While Jesus died for our sins and the sin of the world, our sufferings are the result of living a Christian life. For Paul and many Christians throughout history and even today, this means severe persecution and even death. But for many of us, it involves following the downward path of the crucified one and includes the pangs and afflictions undergone in the struggle against sin and in being a Christian in today's world. It's in these moments that we experience the fellowship with Christ that Paul wants, whatever the cost. I remember many years ago when the president of the Uniting Church in Australia was addressing our Queensland Synod. He had been overseas and he was talking about how the Christians were being persecuted, how when often Christians met you and they'd give you their name and they'd say, I'm a Christian, before they ever told you what they did or anything else. They admitted it, but the persecutions they were going through. And somebody asked the president, do you ever think a time will come in Australia when we'll be persecuted like they are overseas? And I'll never forget the president's words. He said, if we were as serious about our Christian faith as they are, we'd be persecuted like that now. If we were serious, if we took our Christian faith as seriously as they do overseas, we'd be persecuted like that now. You see, for Paul, for Paul, knowing Christ meant suffering. But for Paul, knowing Christ also meant sharing in his destiny. His future hope does not depend on what he has done, but rather what God, what Christ has done and is doing in his life. Paul is single minded about his ambition, like an athlete striving for the finish line. One thing I do, he says. Now, this does not mean that he neglected other areas of his life, but rather all else was subordinate to this overriding ambition. It's not wrong to have ambitions in our marriage, our family, our work, our career, our ministry, or whatever. But if they are the main focus of our ambitions, if that is what is consuming our thinking, then something is out of whack. When we make Christ the focus of our ambition, then all these other things fall into place. And we also find that we have plenty of time for all these other desires. Christ is to be our first priority in life, and nothing should ever conflict with that ambition. Paul was a man who was ambitious for Christ, even amidst his struggles. But like an athlete, he strived for the finish line, not looking back, forgetting what is behind, not resting on past glories or failures or experiences, but pressing on to the goal of serving and knowing Christ. I wonder how many times in our Christian life We've been going forward and there's been some stumble, some problem, and we've wanted to give up. What how many times we've looked back and remembered the good old days, whatever they were, the good old days or that great experience and think, if only we could, if only we could live that experience again. But any athlete will tell you that, especially in marathon races, you don't look back. When even when you run 100 metres, you don't look back. 100 metres, you just look for the finish line and you strive to get to that finish line, pressing on to the goal of serving and knowing Christ. When Paul says to follow his example, or as, or as he says in another letter, imitate me as I imitate Christ, it doesn't mean being like Paul or being to make like Paul your ambition, but rather it's to follow his example in following Christ and to know Christ as Paul seeks to do. It's a matter of being, using his ideas of being like Christ, seeking to be and to know Christ in every area. But let's look at the other alternative, our glory, or if you like, a self-centred ambition. Now, Paul was a pretty tough guy. While suffering torture and hardships, instead of tears and complaining, he sang hymns of praise. No beatings, imprisonment, or difficulties could reduce him to tears. He would sing, he would rejoice. But here in this passage, he says that he sheds tears. They're not tears of self pity, but rather they're tears of sadness. For the many who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. In rejecting the freedom and forgiveness that Christ offers, Paul sees that they are missing out on the resurrection of the dead and their terrible ending will be in destruction. No doubt they are unaware of their destination. But Paul tells us three things about these people which indicate their ambitions are man-centred rather than God-centred. First of all, their appetites dictate their lifestyles. Their God is their stomach. In other words, their God is a personal satisfaction and their lives revolve around sensuality. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying food. And looking after yourself. But when these things become the central focus of our lives, and they become our God. You only have to listen to TV or read a magazine to see how the world wants you to look and feel and eat. After all, you deserve it. They use words like heavenly or from the gods. Eternity. Dedicated for Pleasure. And all these play on your ego and desire to be like other seemingly successful people, to have a good life. For others, their direct ambition is for money or power or popularity or fame. It's interesting. I wonder how many friends you have on Facebook, but how many people you really know. And when you seek money or power or popularity or fame, such ambitions always lead to disappointments. I was reading the other day a bit about the life of Mick Jagger, and with all of his millions and all of the things that he's done, he admitted that he was still dissatisfied. The second thing that Paul tells us about the enemies of the cross is that they boast when they should blush. In verse 19, we read, Their glory is their shame. They are like thieves who boast about their ill-gotten gains or those who store up treasures for themselves and then have great pride in showing them off to everyone else. They have achieved their ambition and glory in them. But these are false gods. And then Paul says, thirdly, their minds are on earthly things. Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there also is your heart. If our ambitions are sensual, then our thoughts will be earthly. But if our ambition is to know Christ, then our hearts will soar into heavenly places. And so Paul now, as he talks to them and encourages them to know Christ, returns to that familiar image of citizenship that he spoke about back in chapter 1. The Christian is a citizen of heaven and he urges the Philippians to be worthy citizens. As I've said before, being a citizen of heaven is not some pie in the sky when you die, but rather it's steak on your plate while you wait. Being a citizen of heaven is a reality now and that's where our loyalty should be. Our loyalty should be in serving Christ first and foremost. In the time of Paul, the emperor was given the title, saviour of mankind, who, when he visited, would bring gifts and that age-old one that we still look forward to today, relief from taxes. So as the people waited and longed for a visit from the emperor, so Paul says the Christians wait and long for the coming of Christ. When Christ comes, he will put everything under his control and so our lowly bodies will be transformed, says Paul, into his glorious body. Our bodies are lowly in the fact that they wear out. Our eyesight grows dim. We have hearing loss, aches and pains, memory loss, and so on. You see, the irony of it all is that when we make our ambition to be sensual, these things fade and die off as a false god. But when we seek God's glory, then we'll be transformed to be like his glorious body. And it is with this certain of our own bodily resurrection and the promise of eternity that encourages us to press on, says Paul, Press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And we can read that in so many of Paul's letters. And so as we look, as we look to Jesus on the cross, we see God's love for us, which then transforms our life and informs our vision and our purpose for our own time here on earth, down through history. There's always been people prepared to put aside their own security to fight for justice, freedom, and equality. For all, equality for all, as they have followed the downward path of the crucified one. Many a person has lost their job because they've stood up for their Christian beliefs. A minister friend of mine from another country, when he became a Christian, was totally disowned, especially by his father and the rest of the family. He was never allowed to go back home. He was to have no contact with them. If he wanted to contact his mother, he would write to one of her friends who would slip her the note. Totally disowned from their family. When I was in theological college as a student and Helen went looking for work. Now, things are different in these these days than they were back then. When Helen went looking for work, She would apply for job after job, and she got lots of interviews. But they used to ask her, what does your husband do? I know you can't do that now, but they used to then. What does your husband do? And as soon as Helen told them that I was studying for the ministry, she said there was just a change in the whole attitude, and everything basically stopped. One of the people who interviewed her actually told her employment agency that Helen was by far the best person for the job, but he didn't think that she would fit in with the culture there. Eventually, somebody did give her a job and extended her time well beyond what it was was going to be, and things worked out okay for us. But there was something just by admitting that I was studying for the ministry caused Helen not to get several jobs. So in this passage, Paul tells us that everyone is on one of two paths. There are two destinations. One is heading for heaven, the resurrection of the dead, and the transformation of our bodies to be like his glorious body. The other is heading for destruction. There are two possible gods. Our Lord Jesus Christ or our stomachs? There are two possible attitudes to Jesus either friendship at an intimate level or enemies of the cross. Ultimately, there are only two possible ambitions, either his glory, Jesus-centered ambition that Philippians 3, verse 3 talks about, or our own glory, our own self-centered ambition. Paul says, in effect, I have changed my ambitions. Now I am Jesus-centered. Will you join me? So what are our priorities? Is it pleasing God or pleasing ourselves? What's your ambition? To be popular or knowing Christ and living and walking in the path of the crucified one? To have that intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we all seek to know Christ and the power of his resurrection as Paul encourages each one of us to be. Yes, let's have an ambition, an ambition to know Christ in all of his fullness. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, so often in life we become distracted. So often in life we want to do the right thing, but tiredness, busyness, Illness interrupt. Well, this morning we have heard Paul's words to us to know Christ, to know Christ intimately, to follow Paul's example of knowing, of seeking the power of the resurrection knowing that our destiny lies in what Christ has achieved for us and so may we as we go through this week seek to do your will and your purpose may we seek to know you more deeply to love you more dearly as your people in Jesus name amen Stuart will be back next week sharing with us and we'll be sharing, for those of you who can make it, at Baldwin Swamp, next Sunday, Baldwin Swamp, and if you get there about 9 o'clock, and we'll be on air from 9.30. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ and the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with you and remain with you this day and always. Amen. God bless you all.